0: Thank you. Thank you. It is really good to be with you again. I love coming to Kings, and uh, as Steve said, it was a tremendous joy to be in Turkey recently. It's an extraordinary nation to be in. It's great to know that we're actually uh, planting churches there, but it's a great place also to host a conference that drew people from Australia and Mexico and India, and several African nations, European nations, up into Pakistan, Russia, all over. And uh, it's just a massive joy to have friends who are planting churches right around the world and to interweave, to talk things through. Uh, do you want to pray, I'll ask you to pray for us whenever that happens. Steve does play a very key role in those meetings. God's given him a real leadership role amongst us and it's just great that he brings wisdom that God's given him into that context. So we're family together and it's great to be with you tonight as part of that family. This morning I met with uh, a man who hosts European leadership conferences and uh, he got in touch with me last year and uh, we're just talking about something he's going to do in Poland uh, next year. It sounds extraordinarily exciting. Some 700 leaders from all over Europe. And uh, he said, I want, please, would you do several sessions with questions and answers? I put you in this stream, I want you to do questions and answers. I put you in this stream, I want you to do questions and answers. I want you to tell about what God's been doing among you. And uh, he's really enthusiastic that we share some of the lovely things God's given us in our hearts in New Frontiers. So it's truly exciting that more and more doors are swinging wide open uh, for things to be shared that God's burned into our hearts. And one of those things is the grace of God. Uh, So this evening I want to press on with that theme of the grace of God. Last time I was with you a month or so back, uh, we looked at that sort of very basic statement that we've found in Romans 5, and then we looked into Romans 7, which shows, hey, it's not by law. The law can't make us holy. The law can't justify us. But God has freely justified us in Christ, that we're not under law, we're under grace. We're secure in that grace. He's declared us righteous. Jesus Christ is our righteousness. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when I wake up tomorrow morning... Hallelujah, he's my righteousness again, and he will be again the next morning. God has done an amazing thing for us in placing us in his Son and giving us his righteousness and receiving us as though we were his very Son. We are accepted in the one that he loves. It's tremendous joy and a delight, and uh, we left the time last time finishing by just hinting that we'd be looking into the next chapter, Romans chapter 6, which we're going to look at uh, together now, where Paul asks this question, shall we carry on sinning then? If God's happy to say, look, because you're in Christ, you are righteous, and that's a done deal, that's a finished thing, that's established. So Paul asks this question, shall we carry on sinning then? If God's happy to do that, well, actually, he answers that question, and we're going to look at that this morning. I want to read with you this evening. I want to read to you uh, the first Uh, 14 verses of Romans 6. Uh, Once again, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible, which is very, very similar to any you might be uh, following that you have in your hand. Okay, Romans chapter 6. What should we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace might increase? May it never be. How should we who died to sin still live in it? Well, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly. We shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we serve, we should no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. For if we've died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Father, thank you for these wonderful words. Thank you for the great words we've been singing. Thank you, put it in our hearts to sing out to you. Lord, I give you my life. I give you my soul. I want to live for you alone. Lord, we, we thank you. You've changed our whole center of gravity. you changed our appetites. We thank you for this amazing work you've done in our hearts. We thank you. You've made us new creations. Lord Jesus, we want to know and understand more and more. So, Holy Spirit, we just welcome you right now. We thank you, Father, for your promise. If we who are evil know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more shall the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So, Father, we together now ask, Holy Spirit, let your teaching skill be upon us now. Lead us into truth. Inspire faith in our hearts as we hear the wonder of your revelation. Lord, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last time we saw how God has acted for us, declaring us righteous as a gift because of our identification with Jesus. Now we're in Christ. God declares us righteous. Now what about our behavior? Where do we go from there? Well, last time we saw that we're not under law. In other words, we understand this, that legalism does not promote holiness. Some people would suggest it does. Some people even call their denominations holiness denominations and tend to emphasize rules and regulations. But actually, that's not the Bible way. The Bible way tells us what God did in the cross, in Christ, and how we were included in that, and therefore the outcome of that gives us a completely new view of life, a new way of living out. It's all flowing from what God did in Christ on the cross. That's our center, that's our hope, that's our joy, that's our faith ground. Okay, so it's not to do with rule keeping. Rule keeping can't change us. We saw that last time. We used to have that old husband, just rules and regulations. He didn't impart any life to us. We saw that. He's like an impotent husband. He gave us rules but didn't bring anything to birth in us. Now we're joined to Jesus and he changes us from the inside. As we more and more fellowship with him, as we dwell in him, he dwells in us, he starts changing us from the inside. So Paul asked this question then, shall we carry on sinning if God's happy to call us righteous? Now that doesn't often kind of get stated, does it? You don't find you come to the evening meeting and someone says, shall we carry on sinning? You know, it doesn't, uh, doesn't have, happen in the church. But, but to be honest, a kind of flip side of that coin often comes up, it's like, how do we actually stop I know for myself as a teenager, when I first became a Christian, I was so grateful for sins forgiven. But how do you actually, how do you live the holy life? How do you change? That was the big question. That's what Paul's moving on into here in chapter 6 of Romans. He's teaching us how we actually change. How do we actually get free from the power of sin? Actually, this whole chapter is a bit reminiscent of what happened to the Israelites. The Israelites were in captivity in Egypt. They had been slaves. And actually, they themselves worshipped false gods. They were sinning in the land. They weren't like holy people in the midst of other unholy people. They had not done well. But God had made promises about them. He raised up a deliverer in Moses who came to them and began to bring about deliverance. And there came this promise from God. Right, I am now... In my last plague and judgment on Egypt, I'm going to kill the firstborn of every household in the nation. That's God's terrifying judgment on Egypt and the sin that was there. A child, the firstborn of every home, will die. But the Israelites were told, not because you've been so good, I'm going to pass over you. No, no, no. They were told, take a lamb for every household has to be a spotless lamb, has to be perfect before God. Then you slaughter it and put its blood around your doorposts. And God says this when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. It's a wonderful and amazing thing. When God sees the blood, He passes over them. Because God knows the value of the blood of the lamb. And we need to interpret that into the New Testament. John the Baptist said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, the blood is for God to see. It isn't that the Israelites were in their, in their homes and thinking, I wonder what will happen. Hold on, I'll just open the door and look at the blood. No, no, the blood doesn't do much for you. You think, oh, mm, it's blood. But God, God, when God says, when I see it, the blood is always for God. It's not for us. It's not for our feelings. It's not for our emotion. We sometimes sing songs about the blood a little bit off center. The blood is for God to see because God knows its worth. The blood's outside. Rather like in the temple on the Day of Atonement, they had to bring the blood into the holiest of all where only God could see it. God sees the value of this shed blood, of this lamb that died, and he's satisfied. And because he's satisfied, we have peace with God. Because God is satisfied. So God, when he sees the blood, he passes over those homes that are hiding in the blood of the lamb. Now that's the kind of teaching we were looking at last time. But for the Israelites, let's imagine, you know, God passed over us and the screams and cries from around. But hey, no one, no one died in our house because the lamb died in our place. Wow, then God says, right, now go, leave, come out. And they start to make their journey, and oh no, the Red Sea. (laughs) So I'm forgiven, but I'm not free. I'm still in the land of slavery. And not only am I still in the land of slavery, here comes the army of Egypt. Here come those who have power over us. And you might even say, there's my old slave master. Here he comes. And that's honestly what I felt as a young Christian. I thought, well, I'm forgiven, but I'm still in slavery to all kinds of stuff. How do I get free from it? Well, the wonderful story in uh, Exodus and in Romans 6, actually, as we're going to see in a minute, is that that was not the end of the story. They weren't locked in. They weren't, oh, well, that's the end, and here comes... No, no, no. The Red Sea opened up. They were supernaturally delivered. This is it. Salvation is a work of God. It's a supernatural thing. It's not about morality. It's not trying to be religious. God steps in and rescues. That's what happened. God stepped in and rescued them from slavery. The sea opened. They went through. The Egyptians tried to follow them. They couldn't. The sea closed over them. They were absolutely freed They were released. They were no longer slaves. They're not slaves anymore. And that's the story really that's behind Romans 6. And we're going to see here when Paul says, shall we carry on sinning then? No, by no means. No. Why? Well, he begins to answer why. And it's actually a kind of reflection of that old Exodus story. They went down into a kind of death. They went down, as it were, into the sea, almost like a baptism, And then they came up out of the sea the other side. And that's what Paul's going to say. How can we, who died to sin, still live in it? Two things before we go any further. First, this one. He says, don't you know all of us? All of us. Okay, so he's going to say, first of all, some things we need to know. Jesus said this, you shall know the truth... And the truth will set you free. Not the rules will set you free, but knowing truth. That's beloved. That's why it's so important. We do know the truth, that we feed on truth, that this truth is going to release us. These are truths spoken by God, realities that we need to step into. Truths that free us. It's not willpower, not knowing rules. It's truth. It's knowing truth. Now, some some people say, well, of course all you need to do is relax really and people have come up with little phrases like just let go and let God you know it's all grace and grace means this let go and let God but actually that's not what Paul says is it if that was it you know Paul could finish there couldn't he so so dear brothers and sisters let go and let God bye love Paul end of Romans <laughs> but he doesn't finish Romans like that He he spells it out. He says, look, there's some things things you need to know and there's some things you need to do, right? So that's quite clear in the passage. First of all, we've got to know some things and then there's some things you need to do, all right? So let go and let God, which you can sometimes hear people say, hey, stop striving, it's all grace, just let go. No, that's not what Paul says. Paul gives some very express instructions. They're simple, they're straightforward. We're going to look at them. And he says this, all of us, don't you know? So he starts with this knowing theme. Don't you know all of us that have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. Now let's just notice that phrase, all of us. Okay? So I'm speaking here to all of us. It's not like now listen, there are real sinners, they're in Adam, they're sinners. And then there are Christians, they're in Christ. And then, there's some real special Christians, and they've really, I mean, they've actually died to sin. I mean, they're the elite, and tonight I want you to step into the elite. No, it doesn't say that. It says all of us. This this is true for all who are in Christ. What I'm declaring tonight, I'm I'm not even saying to you, this is something I want to encourage you to go for. I'm making an appeal at the end, come and get it. I'm not saying that. Why? Because it's all in the past tense don't you know all of us who've been baptized into Christ have been, past tense, baptized into his death? Don't you know it's all over? Don't you know you're free? Some people tell the story of the American slaves who had been freed by an amazing declaration of freedom, but the news hadn't reached them. And they were still living like slaves. And it's like, no, you're free, don't you know we're all free? We're free. Once we were in Kenya with Edward Berea and we found a village that I hadn't even heard that Kenya was no longer under British rule and these people were living like slaves. And he actually went in and released the whole slave and gave the slave community. They didn't know the truth that was true for them. They had never heard it. They were being tricked by some people as it happens. But they'd never heard the news. And beloved, sometimes we we just haven't learned enough, we haven't read enough, we haven't taken it on board enough but here, the Bible is saying that all of us who are in Christ have had something happen to us. All of us who are in him have died. To it. All of us who have been baptized into Christ is the phrase, or baptized into his death is the phrase that's used. Now, I don't think he's actually emphasizing baptism as such. Why do I say that? Well, I remember a group some years ago in the UK who actually taught this that it's about baptism and they used to say the things like this if you're struggling with a sin problem you probably weren't baptized properly so they actually said come to our church we'll baptize you properly and then when we baptize you properly because Romans 6 you will die to sin and that won't have any more sin problem now I don't think that's what Paul's saying He's saying, all of you are in Christ. Because in the Bible, everybody who became a Christian got baptized. So it's kind of shorthand. You've been baptized into Christ. You've become a Christian. You see, that other teaching is almost like saying, if we baptize you, we know we'll really kill you off. <laughs> but actually, if the imagery is baptism, you don't bury people in order to kill them, do you? You know, if you're going to bury somebody. And they go, hey, wait a minute, no, don't bury them, don't bury them. You only bury people because they're dead. You don't bury them in order to kill them. It's not that we say, well, you've got a sin problem, I'll plunge you under the water, that'll kill you. No, no, we are in Jesus who died on the cross. And when he died, it's going to tell us here in a minute, we died with him. And actually, that's when we, we baptize people. Hey, because you have died. You have died. It says in the passage, as we've just read, you have been crucified with Christ. That's what's happened to you. When Jesus was crucified, the Bible says you were crucified with him. And he that has died is freed from sin. That's an amazing statement. The great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that Romans 6 is the most powerful chapter in the Bible for understanding the Christian's deliverance from the power of sin. It states it so clearly. He that has died is freed from sin. You have been crucified with Christ. Our old self was crucified with him. Now, we're believers, okay, We believe what God says is true. You don't wait till I feel that. No, I really feel dead to sin today. It's not about feeling. It's about what God says is true. And beloved, you can't take it to a higher court. You can't can't say, well, you say that, but I take it to a higher, no, there is no higher court. You can't take it higher than God. God says, we have died to sin we have been crucified with him we who are in christ were crucified with him now you know you can't say well i remember when i was in adam i sinned you don't remember that do you i don't remember it. i can't say yeah i was in adam when he became a sinner and the whole human race you know i think back think back yeah of course i remember i was in the garden i took the fruit i was no you don't remember that at all we believe it because it says in the bible adam sinned we all became sinners we were in adam he was the human race he wrecked us now we are in christ we've been born again i'll come back to that later we are new creation we are in this one who died and we died in him god says god says let me ask you this question tonight how many here believe that two men were crucified with Christ. One on the right, one on the left. How many here believe that? Okay, vast majority. Okay, we believe that. We believe that. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that two men were crucified with Christ? Because the Bible tells you so. Honestly, that's the only reason you believe it. You actually believe that two men were crucified either side of him. Now you have the same reason for believing your old self was crucified with him because the Bible says so. So my old self, my old preoccupation with evil, my tendency to sin, the Bible says it's died. It's died. It's finished. It's gone. Now, I'm not teaching eradication, as we'll see later on, I'll come back to. I'm not teaching we never get tempted. I'll come back to that later. But I want to get a hold of what he does say is true. My old self was crucified with him. Amen. That's great news. It's great news. See, sometimes Satan crowds in on us because we do have these enemies: the world, the flesh, the devil. We have these enemies that come against us, and sometimes Satan will say, "You know, I've got you. I've got you. You're my you're my slave." He'll sometimes tell you, and you want to turn around to Satan and say, "Hey, how many Egyptians got through the Red Sea, Satan?" not one. I am not your slave anymore. I have died and been raised with Christ. We are free. Now, that's what it says. It says, knowing this, we it's true because God says it's true. We know it to be true, not because we feel it always, but because he says it's true. And there's no higher truth. You can't say to God, oh yeah, but I know better. No, you don't know better than him. He says it's true. Amen. So all of us who are in Christ, God has dealt the death blow to the power of sin in us. It's happened, okay? So let's see the next thing he says. Knowing it's true, because he says it's true. I remember for me, to be honest, it came home very vividly when I was a young Christian and uh, I, was, I was in a youth group. I was in, I guess, my early 20s at this younger people's group in the church. And I was in a problem. I suddenly was eaten up with a kind of jealousy to someone else in the youth group. And I don't think i would had that particular problem before. I'm pretty easy going. And, and it's suddenly this, I don't know, I just couldn't get this person out of my mind. And I just felt a oh, bad attitude. And, and I was one Sunday in the church, where my Baptist pastor, he's a lovely pastor, it's a big church, about 600 members, and he's preaching away. And he said, as one of my young people said to me, and quoted them. I thought, oh, he's quoting them. You know, I, thought, I <laughs> I thought, thought, what's wrong with me? I'm supposed to be a Christian. I hate this. I hate this. And I I used to commute from Brighton to London every day. My job was in London. I lived in Brighton. And I'm I'm on the train, and you know how weird we are on trains. We Brits don't kind of speak to anybody. And you you got in the compartment. We've had these compartments, and things have changed on trains a bit. But in the compartment, and you'd sit there, you put your thing up on the top, and People would open their newspapers. No one spoke to anybody. Weird. Uh, We didn't speak. You know, they're all there. They're behind their newspapers. And I'm reading my Bible. And as I'm reading, I'm really struggling with this, God, I hate this. But how do I get free from this? And I've got Romans 6 in front of me. And I actually read it. It says, He that has died is freed from sin. And I thought, yeah, dead people don't feel jealous. You know, you could be—you have a corpse next to you, and you know, praise the person. It wouldn't bother him, would it? A dead person. And I suddenly—I suddenly saw what it said. Honestly, I saw it, and I, it was so vivid to me. I laughed out loud. I laughed out in the compartment. I remember all the newspapers came down. <laughs> it's like I was reading the Bible, didn't? Know there were too many jokes in there, but, it, but. It just set us free. Honestly, I was free from that moment. We became the best of friends. It was never an issue again. I suddenly said, no, I'm free. I'm free. And I go back to that. When other things come, I go back to that. That freeing word. God says that we have been crucified with Christ and he that is died is freed from sin. We don't have to give into it. We're freed doesn't say you will never be tempted, it says you're free. Now we'll go on through it. So first of all, so it's sort of step by step what I'm looking at tonight. First one, knowing it. See, Jesus said you'll know the truth and the truth frees you. Now the truth is this, when Jesus died, everything flows from the cross. Christianity doesn't flow from rules and regulations, everything flows from the cross. The cross is central to our faith. He died to sin once for all. Hallelujah. And we were in him. Hallelujah. So we know it. The second thing we need to look at is in verse 11. Even so, consider yourself to be dead to sin. All right? This is the second instruction. The first instruction is, know it's true. The second one is this, consider it to be true. What does that mean? Well, it's interesting. The word consider here, you may have reckon, reckon. I think the old King James talks about reckon yourself. Actually, the word is borrowed from the world of accountancy. And it literally means put in the right column. You know, some of Paul's words are borrowed from the world of uh, law, justification. That's a legal word. But this word is borrowed from the world of accountancy. And it means put in the right column. Reckon correctly. Line it up properly. Reckon. Consider correctly. That's what he's saying. Consider it. So, you see, if you get an accountant, you want him to put the figure in the right column. You don't want him get it in the wrong column, you want it in the right once you to account it, okay? So it's true, so know it. Secondly, consider it. In other words, line your thinking up with this new truth. Now I'm not saying it's kind of mind over matter. I'm not saying you think, oh, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin, I'm dead to sin. Oh, not really. Oh, think it harder. If only you could think it harder. I am not saying that, all right? I'm not saying that it's it's mind over matter. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's true, because God says it's true. So line your thinking up with the truth. Consider it true. Now, this came home to me ever so vividly, the first time I ever uh, flew overseas. I went to see my sister who lived in Spain, and I'd never been overseas before. Uh, and we flew into Spain, and I always remember the pilot said, Welcome to Barcelona. The time is 4 o'clock. I looked at my watch. 3 o'clock. <laughs> it's a perfectly good watch, I and mean, we still going. It was the 4 o'clock bit. It's 3 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock. It is 3 o'clock. Three o'clock. Uh, and, you know, what do you do? You go out the plane, you say, Thank you. Yeah, it's 4 o'clock. Yeah, of course, it it's 3 o'clock, really. No, no, the reality was this. I am now... In Barcelona. And in Barcelona, the time is four o'clock. They're an hour ahead of us. It's four o'clock there. So you're in Barcelona, so change your watch. Line up with truth. You are in Christ. Line up with truth. Consider it true. Change your thinking. You're in Christ. That's what he's saying. He's saying, no, it's true, because God says it's true. Now, Train your mind to line up with that truth. Because sometimes your mind will go backwards. Especially with Satan bombarding you, accusing you, because that's what his name is, accuser. And you'll think, oh, I'm still an old sinner. When the Bible says, no, you're not, and says, now change your thinking about it. Line up with truth. In Barcelona, it's four o'clock. Change your watch. In Christ, you've died to sin. Change your thinking. Now, to be honest, going to Spain is pretty easy because one hour. You know, when you go to the US or somewhere, it might be six hours. And you wake up at all the wrong times, you know. Why well, am I asleep? I'm wide awake here. Or the other way around. You think, what are they doing? I want to go to bed. And, but, but if you travel, the best thing to do really is change your watch as soon as possible. Get into the new time zone. And there can come a little period where you feel out of step with the new reality. Sometimes inside you, you think, God, oh, I should be in bed now. But actually, no, it's time to be up. You know, it's like six o'clock in St. Louis. Come on. Line up with the new reality. Don't go, oh, we're back in. No, we're not there anymore. We're here. So we just have to keep lining up. Now, that's a bit of a discipline. Especially when some Christians almost want to insist that we're all sinners, really. When the Bible says, no, you're actually holy ones, you're saints. You're in Christ. And we need to line up with the new truth. Think it. Line yourself up with it. And that sometimes, you see, that's why let go and let God, to be honest, beloved, it's misleading. Because the Bible doesn't say, well, just relax. No, no, no. It says, come on, know it's true and actually think the right thought. Line up with this truth. You're a new creation. You're no longer what you used to be. And so it's a new instruction. Know it's true, then consider it true. Shall we do that? Shall we do that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday? Shall we start doing that? I am a new creation. That's not what I am anymore. I start thinking more. And we get transformed by the renewing of our mind. We begin to line up with this reality. We take what God says is true as the fundamental truth. We understand everything else is not true. And we consider it that way. Then the third thing in this line of instruction is in verse 11. Sorry, not verse 11, but verse 12. We just looked at verse 11. Verse 12. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Present yourself to God. As those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Okay, let's look at that bit now. That's the third phase of the instruction of this chapter. He says, Right, don't let sin reign. Sin is looking for a place to reign. Sin, he kind of imagines sin as a living thing, looking for somewhere to be king, to reign. And he says, Don't allow it to reign in your. Mortal body. Now, why does he say mortal body? Why doesn't he just say body? Do we need a word mortal in there? Why mortal? Well, let me suggest this: that that maybe he's saying mortal because these bodies are going to die. We haven't yet received our immortality in terms of body. We're going to get a new body one day. Isn't that good news? When you get to my stage, it's very good news. Once you're past 21, it's great news. Like we're going to get a new body one day. One day you get a new body. That is salvation future. It's referred to in many places in the New Testament. It says, This, this, this body will Here, give us a new body. And it says in Romans 8, We're waiting for that, the redemption of our bodies. That's salvation future. We will get new bodies, glorious bodies. God's going to create new heavens and new earth, and we'll have new bodies to cope with it. Hallelujah. That's pretty exciting. We're going to get new bodies like his glorious body. Woo, this is exciting. But I haven't got it yet. I live in this mortal body, this body that's still dying, this body that used to have a different boss to what I am now. This body that used to be an instrument. Do you notice that word? It says... Don't go on presenting the members of your body uh, to sin as instruments. See, sin's looking for an instrument. Earlier on we said, well, let's worship. Phil's going to lead us. So he goes to the instrument. We need an instrument to play. Sin looks for an instrument. And Paul says, don't let sin use your members of your body as instruments. The Bible's. Very aware of our bodies. Present your body. We, also, we often say, I give you my heart. God says, yeah, okay, but I want your body. <laughs> well, because the Bible keeps it very real. It's interesting in, in, in Proverbs, it says, God hates boastful eyes and hands that do this and feet that go there. See, it's not like in a vacuum. It's like, what do you do with your body? And so God is saying, don't give your body... Because these hands, when I was a sinner, these hands did all sorts of stuff that they shouldn't have done. They touched things they shouldn't have touched. The eyes looked at things they shouldn't have looked at. Ears listened to stuff they shouldn't have listened to. Lips said things they shouldn't have said. We used these instruments. Sin used these instruments. Now, you're a new creation. Now, you're a new person. But you're living in this old body that hasn't yet received this glorious salvation that's still ahead. So Paul says, take responsibility. See, simple, actually New Testament j- sanctification is kind of simple in many ways. It says God's done an amazing thing. He's changed you radically. You've been born again. We often use that phrase, don't we, born again. But we don't necessarily think about what we're saying. Born again. I, I have some friends of mine, that they had a couple of toddlers... And, and then the wife became pregnant. They decided to have their third child at home. And uh, the toddlers went to bed. And in the night, this baby's born. And they come down in the morning and say, Who's he? He wasn't here last night. <laughs> His birth, it's amazing. It's like, it wasn't there before. It wasn't there before. New birth. It's breathtaking. You see, we... we the. That word, born again, it gets stolen. Even the, do you know, have you noticed that the sports writers love it? You know, such and such, so, born again. What they mean is that some boxer. He hasn't fought for a little while. He's having another go. Born again. I remember if born again, Sugar Ray, or born again, this one. It's like he's having another go. You'll find that often with the sports guys. If he hasn't played for a little while, then he plays again, and you'll find it, born again. You think, no, 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 he's not born again. He's having another go. <laughs> but beloved, we're not having another go we've been born again there's a new person here if any man is in christ behold it's lovely isn't it behold it says he's a new creature behold old things you know behold tends to disappear out of our bibles because it's a quaint word isn't it we we don't stand at the bus stop and say oh behold here comes 107 you know (laughs) So, so the modern translations forget behold. So behold is missing. But it's an important word. Perhaps we should put it, check it out. <laughs> look, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Check it out. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Check it out. Have a look. Behold. It's an important word. Behold. Look at that. It's not always having another go. Christians, dear friends, they're not sinners having another go. It's not New Year's resolutions, I'll try harder. God's done a breathtaking thing in us. We're new creatures. God's done an amazing thing. He's changed us from what we used to be into what we now are. Later on in the verse, or in the passage, it says, for instance, in verse 18, having been freed from sin... Verse 17 says, thanks be to God, who though though you were, you were. This is an identity thing, all right? Identity. Some of us preachers make it all feel like this is what you've got to do. The gospel is good news rather than good advice. It's telling you what God's done. It's great. It's the gospel. It's good news. And this is good news. You, he says, you used to be slaves of sin. This is a fact. You used to be. It's what you used to be. You were a slave of sin. He said, now you became slaves of righteousness. Did you know that? You became a slave. Imagine, imagine. I asked that this cord should be left here. I just want to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about. Imagine his s- sin is saying, come on, slave. And you'll say, okay, sin, I'm your slave. And one day sin says, come on, slave. Okay, where are we going? Downtown, okay. You stay there, sin. You're yeah, all right. Slave, I mean. And sin goes wandering off. And you're standing there. Then righteousness comes walking through. Says, hmm, I think I'll buy you. Oh, I'm a slave of sin. No, okay, I'll pay the full price. Really? Yeah, I'll pay the full price for you. You're no longer, says in the Bible, you're no longer a slave of sin. Wow. Not a slave of sin anymore. Then righteousness is, no, oh, come on. Oh, all right. So so righteousness, come on with me. Okay, I'm a slave of righteousness now. That's your identity. You're a slave of righteousness. I mean, what are you doing in church again? 5.30 on a Sunday afternoon. What are you up to? Then they take money off you. I mean, what's your problem? What's your problem? I think you can't get enough righteousness. I think you're in slavery to the stuff. You want to be, you want to be holy. That's your desire. This is my desire to follow you. We've been singing it. You didn't think oh, I'm making this up. It's, yeah, that felt, that came from your heart. You said, "This is my honest desire. I want to give you my heart." What? What's going on with you, people? god's made you a slave of righteousness there's something in you that just loves righteousness and that's why beloved when we do sin we feel terrible what am i doing i should never have done that now when you're a sinner you sinned and thought it was pretty good when i was when i was a sinner i I mean i'd boast about it on monday we go back to work on monday after an outrageous weekend in brighton I go back on Monday, should have been with us at the weekend. Wow, I'd boast about my sinning. I'm Myself and my body, are all in happy agreement. I'm a sinner. <laughs> I wasn't ashamed of it, I thought it was great fun. No, no, I'm a slave of righteousness. Now you, you can be in conversations, and you can think, oh, I do hope she didn't think. You know, when I phone people up, you know, when I said that, you did understand, didn't you? Think, What's wrong with you? You know, you use did my tone of voice. What's for what, tone of voice? What's your problem? Well, we become sensitive. God's made you a righteous person. You feel very awkward. You feel like a fish out of water. When you're enjoying His Lord, oh, this is my desire. This is who I am. You feel, ah, I'm a fish in water. This is actually who I really am. This is my new identity. See, beloved, it's this change of identity that's made a big big transformation in our lives we've been born again <laughs> a completely new creation you are a new creation you're in slavery to righteousness you love righteousness you love doing that stuff god's made you that way and if we don't get that identity change right we're in trouble it's, it's understanding that let I me mean, can i give a kind of silly illustration let's say so this speaker here which some of you can see, some can't. There's a black, speak it. But from now on, it's a pig, all right? <laughs> so this is a pig, all right? Pig, you are a pig, okay? So, okay, oink, you know I'm happy. I'm a pig. He's a pig, right? Pig, that's your identity. Now listen, pig. Yep. Yeah. This is your calling in life. Got it, pig? Pig, your identity is pig. Your calling in life is... Fly. No, see, I'll now, see, i now made him a miserable pig, <laughs> because his identity is called his identity is pig. His calling is fly. He can't do it. He's got the wrong identity. You have to change his identity. If we don't change who we are, it's no good putting rules and regulations on people. We need a transformation. We need another birth. We need to be a new creation. That's what Paul's saying has happened to us. And so it says in 1 John, I write these things to you that you may not sin. Then it says this in 1 John, He that's born of God doesn't sin. Now most modern translations put in quite correctly, He that's born of God does not continually sin. Now, what it's saying is that we've become new creations. We're not not locked into sin. He that's born of God doesn't continually sin. I write these things to you that you don't sin. That's what God wants of us. That's what God's provided for us. Now, in the same epistle, in the same epistle, he says this. If any man does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. Now it's interesting that's in the same letter. It's almost like, and I heard somebody put it this way, it's like you live in a big house and the front door's got this wonderful entrance, pillars and steps. That's the way in and out of this home. And it kind of says over the top of it, he that's born of God doesn't sin. I write these things to you that you may not sin. Then this house has also got a fire escape, if anyone sinned. We have an advocate with the Father. And if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But God wants us to get used to living, coming through the front door. He doesn't want us to live all the time going up the fire escape. He wants us more and more as we know truth, celebrate truth, thank him for truth, to get used to living in this wonderful, wonderful life he's called us to. He's freed us from sin's power. That's what Romans 6 is telling us. Shall we carry on sinning? He says, no, 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 no. And he finishes that in verse 14 of that whole passage. He says, sin shall not be master over you. That's a statement, beloved. It's a bold statement. Sin shall not be master over you. You're not under law. You're under grace. God's done a phenomenal thing for us. Now, sometimes people say, yeah, but I've got this one thing I can't overcome. It's like, I'm like, a, I'm like a 10 pin. I can stand there until this ball comes down. Here it comes. Oh, no, every time I give up. And I say, sorry again. I can't, I can't help it. This temptation's so great. It gets me every time. It's, sorry, Lord. Wish I didn't do it. Now, it's interesting. 1 Corinthians 10 says this. There is no temptation. But such as is common to man. See, some of us say, I'm the only one that's got this problem. It says there is no sin, but such as is common to man. It's common. Or it could mean it's man-sized. It's common to man. Some of us say, it's like a giant temptation. No, no, no. It's not king-sized. It's man-sized. There's no temptation, but such as is man-sized. It's common to man. And God says in 1 Corinthians 10, will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able to endure, but with the temptation will make a way of escape. Now that's a tremendous promise. And sometimes we say, well, I can't help myself. This temptation is so great. It gets me, I just, there's no way out. No, 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 no. There isn't one like that. Oh, no, there is. No, there isn't. There isn't. The Bible says there isn't. In fact, one day... We'll stand face to face with God. The Bible says we'll all give account. So we'll stand before God. Imagine God, imagine God saying to us in that day, if I can put it this way, in the white light of His presence. And He asks you, Was there a temptation that was too great for you? Now, which of us, when God says there isn't one? Which of us on that day is going to say, yeah, there was. It was much. Th- no, no, God says there isn't one. Beloved, I promise you this. When you meet God, you're not going to argue. <laughs> I, I, guarantee, I guarantee you. None of us will say, yeah, you know, I think. No we, No one wants to know what you think. We will all agree with God the day you meet him. I promise you. I promise you. So in that day, beloved, hear this. On that day, you will agree with God. You will confess there was no temptation that's too great you will i promise you you will confess it because god god says god says it's true so if you're going to confess it then why not boldly confess it now there is no temptation that's too great for me god has freed me god has loosed me and so this wonderful chapter is telling us when Jesus died, he kind of scooped us up into himself and we were crucified with him. And that old self died. That old bondage, that slavery, it's gone. It's gone. You used to be a slave of sin, you're not anymore. That's not what you are anymore. God has declared it. We're not slaves anymore. In fact, we're slaves to righteousness now. We're new creatures. We're born again. Christ lives in us. We're incredible creatures of God. God has made something most wonderful of us. The New Testament teaching on holiness is therefore, in view of these things, take responsibility. Be consistent. Reckon it's true. Live it out. Make good choices. See, much sanctification is make good choices. It's like, well... You know, I'm very fond of my girlfriend and she's fond of me. And when we're on our own and we're in the dark, and I don't know, one thing leads to another, we do stuff we shouldn't do. And we, we really, you know, but I like her a lot. And hey, hey, here's some choice don't get in that situation. Make a choice. We won't get like that. We're not going to get on our own. We're not going to be in a situation like that. We're going to avoid that. We make choices. See, it says in Proverbs, the wise man does not go down the street of a prostitute. That's what it says in Proverbs. You might say, well, that's the quickest way. I want to get from A to B, and I'm going down there. That's where the prostitute... Well, she said, the wise man doesn't go down that path. He goes around another way. Sanctification is very simple. It's like, I get this newspaper because the sport's so good. I mean, the sport is terrific. The soccer, it's brilliant. The football's ever so good. Uh, page three really troubles me, but... Um, The football's good. And uh, I get messed up when I get, hey, here's another blinding revelation. Change newspapers. See, just make choices. But this messes me up. Well, don't go there then. Don't go there. So living the godly life is not just let go and let God. It's no truth. Reckon it's true. Take responsibility. Enjoy God's grace. One final thing. One final thing. You say, well, I understand it now. Now I understand. Well, God's made me a new creature. And then Wednesday, you scream at the kids, and you think, oh, God, all that stuff I heard from Terry Virgo came to nothing. No, no, no. When that happens, if anyone sins, we come back to the Father. We say, Lord, I'm sorry. You see, you don't abandon the whole gospel because we made a mistake. We go back to truth. You see, that's the only way you go back to truth. See, Satan will fight you there. When you go back to God, I'm so sorry, Lord. Satan say, "Just words. I saw what you did. That's easy. Just saying words to God. I wouldn't even speak to him for a few days if I were you." He will. He will argue with you. He'll say, "Come and live out in the clouds for a while. Live in the shadows. Don't go to God. Look what you just did. What you just said. Don't go to God. No, go to God quickly. Don't live in the shadows." because then Satan will pursue you in the shadows. Come back quickly. Say, Lord, I will not abandon the gospel. I'm sorry, I did not live consistent. Please forgive me. And receive forgiveness. Christians must be good at receiving forgiveness and then stand again. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And as you grow in grace, you learn more and more You win more and more. You stand more and more clear to who you really are in Christ. We grow up into him in all things, as the Bible says. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's just pray. Father, thank you so much for sending your beloved, glorious, pure, holy son to set us free. Thank you there is born this day in the city of David a saviour. He will deliver us from all our sin. Thank you, Jesus. You came to deliver us, to cut us loose. You didn't come and throw down a rule book into our hole. You came to get us out and make us new people. Father, please let this word do us good. Please let it be mixed with faith in our hearts. Help us to be good soil that bears much fruit for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.